Hello, everyone. Welcome to Avaya's Overcoming Narcissistic Abuse Curriculum. I'm Andy Anderson. My partner, Igalen, and I are teachers, mentors, and the co-owners of Avaya University. Avaya is the creator of over a thousand books, films, courses, teachings, and other supportive resources. Thanks so much for being here. Our fellow teacher, Tracy Malone, is here to talk with us today about how your trauma story must change if you don't want to attract another narcissist. Tracy is the founder of NarcissisticAbuseSupport.com, a global resource to victims of emotional abuse. Her website concentrates on educating survivors and leading them to resources they need to heal. Her passion is coaching survivors with a compassionate, understanding heart. Tracy has been running support groups, and she understands the importance of finding community to heal. It's so important. So, the, her, so her website maintains a support group directory, as well as state-by-state -state domestic violence agency listings where people can get access to counseling, other things like legal services and support. Tracy is also a survivor that is passionate about raising awareness on the subject, and she is excited to share the empowering story of how she turned her life around to help others do the same. Thank you so much for being here with us, Tracy. Thank you for having me. Mm, the pleasure is mine. I'm so excited. You, you have quite an amazing resource in this arena of narcissistic abuse. And so I'm so glad that you were willing to hop on with us today and, and talk about this. Um, I am so happy to be here because it's such an important topic. And thank you guys for educating the world because healing after narcissistic abuse is not easy and and it's 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 a long road so i really appreciate you guys stepping in and bringing awareness to everyone well thank you it's our, our pleasure so let's talk about like what makes people vulnerable to right becoming attractive to a narcissist i'd love it if you could you know just kind of dive into that first so so we know that narcissists need to control right and so um they look for if you are controllable right from the very get-go. So your story is actually the roadmap. Your, your past relationships gives them a clue as to what you've been through and, and um, what you've maybe tolerated. Um, if we think of a coffee date with a potential new suitor um, and they ask some questions, they're, they're trying to quickly ascertain your assets. And I'm not just talking about you own a house or you have a 401k. Your assets that they're looking for are, are things like being smart, being trustworthy, being honorable, um, giving, supportive, um, someone that follows the rules. These people make really good targets because if they want to control you and you're a good rule follower, being, I call it a green flag. It's like, oh, that person will, will, you know, follow what I want. Um, and it gives them a, a roadmap to your controllability. Um, and often our story, I call it story barfing. <laughs> and, um, you know, when we're kind of fresh out of the oven and we, we have maybe some new vocabularies and maybe we, we've got some words like flying monkeys or smear campaigns and, and we just want to share and get validation. So we story barf to people. We just go, here's what happened. And if we tell that to the wrong person at the wrong time, then we are potentially setting ourselves up for that narcissist that is hunting for someone with the kind of vulnerabilities that you have had. If you've dealt with a cheating husband, for example, or a cheating wife, um, and, and your story at that coffee date is that you, your husband cheated 12 times, but you stayed. 
you think you're telling a loyalty story, mm. someone that honors their, their vow, right? Mm. And a narcissist goes, green flag, awesome, I can cheat, and she won't, she'll let me do it. She stayed, right? Mm. We have to be careful about what we say when we talk to people. Mm, interesting. Mm, yeah, that's a, I've never really thought of it in, in that respect before. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about the actual trauma story. So you kind of touched on this already and, um, but how does someone's trauma sto- story hurt them potentially? Um, it hurts them in, in a lot of ways. Um, first of all, every single time you tell it, you're injuring yourself. You know, if you start to tell your neighbor, and then he did this, and then he did that, you go home and you feel like dog do. You don't feel good when you have to repeat this stuff over and over. So you're injuring yourself. You're also like scaring away your family and friends. They get to a point and it's not that they don't love you. It's that they don't know how to help you get out of the place where you are. So that, that trauma story and just going on and on about it is, is a keeping you attached at that place and time. And so if we can change the story and move it in a different direction from the, the not to say that the truth didn't happen, you can't change the past but you can change how you speak about it. And that's where we have the power and the control. Um, This this same shame story or trauma story also attracts the wrong people. They're out there fishing for someone that has the vulnerabilities that you have had, that has endured abuse before. They love to go for someone who's already been through this thing. I had it happen myself. I was swooped up after a horrific divorce. That was my vulnerability. And it came right out. He became so empathetic and heard my story and understood. So I felt heard. But in fact, he was even more of a monster than the divorce. Mm -hmm. So we get pulled up because of our vulnerabilities. So what are like some other, like you've mentioned a couple things, right? Like obviously if you shared something about being cheated on and then staying or whatever, like what are other like, I don't know, traits or things that, yeah, vulnerabilities, what are they looking, what what are they looking for? Well, think about someone who's lonely or an empty nester, newly divorced, a widower, right? They just want to try again. They're finally ready to try. Um, but but they're broken a little bit, right? Um, If you have low self-esteem and you say you've lost yourself, so many victims of narcissistic abuse come out the gate going, I don't know who I am anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, who's going to fix you? A narcissist. You don't know who you are. You don't think you're beautiful. Oh my God, you are the most beautiful thing. They charm you and 15 minutes later, you're in their bed. You know, it's, it's this, this, that story and that vulnerability of low self-esteem is something they can put the bandaid on. They can help you with that. So when you talk about that, it, it, it gives them an in a childhood trauma talking about your crazy family, right? Um, A loss or abandonment, dysfunction family. Well, wow. They don't have any family that can interfere in my abuse. Green flag, right? The more you look at the things, um, even something as simple as not having an opinion. This sounds so stupid to some people, but it's one of the things they look for. Where do you want to go for dinner tonight, honey? I don't know. Wherever you want to go. Do you want pizza? I don't care. Whatever you want. Then they know they can control you, right? If you're so willing to not say, I really feel like 
Mexican today mm-hmm. and you don't stand up for it, they know they have you. It's little tiny things like that, that our story and our vulnerabilities um, kind of come out. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So, so let's go back to right changing that story, changing the narrative. So how can our viewers who have uh, more than likely been in this scenario or they are in this scenario, how can they change that narrative in their head in order to really recover and heal faster? Well, we, we have to start by um, making sure that we have a, a dialogue. And, and, and what I like to do is I like to, to break it into um, buckets, if you would. Um, we have to craft stories that we're going to tell people in different legs of our life. I call the low bucket sort of the, the neighbors, the church people, the maybe coworkers, people that don't need to hear your shame story. Have you ever heard that quote by Brene Brown, um, never tell, share your shame story with someone who hasn't earned the right to hear it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the case. Those low bucket people, they can just hear a simple story like, it didn't work out. I'm good. I'm moving on, right? Now you're not story barfing at work and getting yourself upset and, and, you know, potentially any of these people, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers could potentially be flying monkeys if you give them to information. Again, it's like, he did this and he did that and oh my God, and now, you know, why does a coworker need that? You have to put them into this low bucket and you have to come up with the very simplest of answers for them. And you know, there'll be another bucket, which is more for um, mid-level friends, if you would. Mm-hmm. Friends that you've had for a long time um, versus the true friends, the actual family that is supporting you, the actual best friends that are going to be there no matter what. That middle bucket, if you've got people in there that are unsupportive, that say stupid things, whether they need it to be harmful or not, but you know, get back on the horse. Everyone had a crazy mother. You know, you're just going through a divorce. You're going to get over it. Just give it time. Get back out there and date. If they're not being supportive in that way, tell them less because again, they, they don't, haven't earned the right to do that. Mm -hmm. By crafting a story, um, it helps us, it helps us on the fly if they're right in front of us and it helps us on that coffee date. You know, for example, if we were sitting there and we're talking to the coffee date dude and, um, and he's like, so have you ever been married before? And you just story barf everything that happened. A healthy person is going to get up and leave and hide in the bathroom and never come back. Mm -hmm. A narcissist is going to turn around and be so empathetic. They're going to be sitting there going, oh, I had a crazy ex too. Oh my gosh, that's so true. Oh yes. And now you feel like you've got someone that's on your side that understands, but it could also just be fake, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to be really careful and and mindful about that and give that person less information until they've earned the right to hear the rest. Mm -hmm. Give them as little bit as you can and then turn the conversation back around to them. Well, were you ever married? Tell me about that. And and people always ask me this one. We had crazy exes, right? So our story, if we actually get down to it, has a story of a crazy ex. Well, what if this person at the coffee table says, I have a crazy ex? How do you know the difference between their crazy ex and a narcissist who everyone's always the crazy ex, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how you would tell? No, how? Lessons. 
we will have learned lessons from our crazy ex. I see. Maybe it's that we didn't understand boundaries. Maybe it's, we didn't know what narcissists were. Maybe we didn't know that we had no self-love and self-confidence to say, no, that's not okay. We have to evolve. And then our story becomes something where, hey, I learned I needed to do this and this, and I was raised by a narcissist. I didn't know that. And now I'm stronger and now I'm powerful. If that coffee date comes off going, I learned that my wife was a stupid blah, 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 blah. anger, right? Mm -hmm. and not healing and no self-reflection. Right. You know? And so those are the way you can identify their story and versus your story. Your story in the end will have those lessons in it that you've learned these things and you can, right. you can move on. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. So what about like you mentioned just briefly boundaries? What, you know, this is a common topic that comes up when talking about narcissistic abuse as, as, as well as things like codependency and um, relationships. So like what's your take on setting boundaries? Why is it important? Are there like tips you can share on how to set boundaries? Sure. So, so boundaries are the rules of our life, right? I personally did not know what a boundary was because I was raised by a narcissistic mom. So I was one of those low high hanging fruits that sure, I'll do anything. You want me to move you this weekend? Okay. Okay. I'll help you. I, I had no boundaries because I was a people pleaser and I was always happy to help others. And it wasn't that I was doing it maliciously. I just thought that was my job to help others. And so when it came to being abused by a narcissist, that boundary part became gold to them. And so not having rules of what I wanted in my life allowed someone to lie to me over and over, allowed someone to cheat on me over and over. Um, setting a boundary is um, something that we do based on what we don't want in our life. You don't want someone to lie to you. That's a trigger your ex did. That should be a boundary. One lie, two lies. What's your what's your your mark there? You know, um, personally, I, I don't want to see any lying ever again. And if I saw it, it would say, "Sorry, I'm out of here. I'm not going to tolerate once because once leads to two because you forgive the first one, right? And then you're like, oh well, they had a bad day or whatever it was, and then the next one gets upped and it gets upped until you are a prisoner of a controlling person. And so um, setting a boundary means you have to identify what it is. So trigger, I don't want you to lie, right? Um, and then you really have to start to test people and see if they are um, going to honor your boundaries. Let's go back to that coffee date, right? Um, if you set a time in your mind and say, I'm going to go on this coffee date for one hour. And you sit down and say, listen, hi there, hi there, Mr. Coffee Date. I'm going to be here for an hour. I've got some big plans today, but let's have a nice coffee. And you sit down and, and the conversation starts to go really good. And they go, oh, can't you push it? Can, can you move your chores a little bit farther? We're having so much fun. You know, let's just talk a little longer. If you push your boundary, if he pushes your boundary, and I'm sorry, I keep saying he, it could be a she, mm -hmm. um, pushes your boundary and you go, well, you know, this is a good conversation. I'll stay mm -hmm. right there. Green flag. They've got you. They know that your boundaries mean nothing. When you stand up and go, you know, this was a great conversation. How about we make another appointment and we see each other next week, right? That's setting a boundary and that's testing them. 
if that person turns around and flips out and goes, well, I'm not going to call you because you didn't want to stay. We just learned something from trying to set that boundary. And there are little tiny steps like that way along the road before we actually get into a relationship. We've tested. They say, you know, what do you feel like for dinner? And you say, I really want Italian. And they say, well, I feel like Mexican. And they go, let's go to Mexican. And you go, all right, I'm a people pleaser. Sure, I can eat Mexican. They've just learned it, right? But if, if that person has good boundaries and if you can set the boundaries and go, you know what? Mexican's okay, but can we promise that next time it's Italian? Right. And then they actually honor it. So it's, it's about identifying it. It's communicating it, sitting down and saying, I've got an hour. Let's make it fun. Mm -hmm. um, and then walking out. You have to learn strong boundaries. And I wrote a quote, so I'm going to read it if it's okay. Yes. Because I teach boundaries. I have a course. And um, all the time people are telling me, oh, God, it's so hard to set a boundary with a narcissist. And it really is. But it is in the baby steps, right? We tend to go... Um, up here when we decide to set a boundary. Like the boundary is, I don't want you to cheat. You've been married for 15 years and, and he's been cheating all along. That's not a boundary. That's a wish, right? That there's no consequence. When our children come home from school and want to watch TV, they can't watch TV until they do their homework. You want dessert? You can't have dessert until you finish your dinner. There's a consequence, right? Mm -hmm. Consequence has to be in part of the, the boundary setting. And if we don't do that, then they're just going to walk all over you, right? right. Um, so this goes to the, the non being able to set a boundary with a narcissist. It says, most say setting a boundary with a narcissist rarely works. I suggest that the act of trying to set a boundary, despite its likely results, is far better than never trying it long at all. For when we surrender and stop trying to set the boundary, it's when they get their way and they win. So never stop fighting for your rights. Mm, got it. Mm. It's, it's just about knowing that you're worth it and, and testing the people before you get down that rabbit hole of finding out that they are abusive. They're going to be charming at first, um, but your story and, and the things that you tell them must be protected. They haven't earned to write the right to hear that you had a terrible divorce yet. So keep it simple. That simple, you know, it, it, here, it didn't work out. We grew apart. You know, we have different dreams. Those are good. There's no, there's no lying in that. It's just, we don't have to story barf the whole thing to get somebody right. to, um, you know, not make us be a target. Mm -hmm. Got it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that quote. Also, is that from your new book that's coming up or is that something that is going to be in my book? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so, you know, you mentioned that you were raised by a narcissistic mother, which makes me um, want to ask you about that. Like in your line of work and all the people you support on your website, do you see, I, I mean, I've, I've seen many people write either they were raised by narcissistic parents, so they became right? Someone who attracts narcissists in their life, but also like, do you also see people who were raised by a narcissistic parent and then become a narcissist? Okay. There's like a 50, 50 genetic pool there. Um, it is a way to, um, deal with the trauma. 
narcissists are sort of born out of their trauma and it becomes a self-protection shell that they are um, not going to ever let anyone hurt them the way their parents did. So they will take control of that. They will be the ones that make the rules and, and they will be that person. The other way that you go is to go into a, um, a codependency. I'll make everything better. I'll, 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 I'll make it right. I'll be the people pleaser. I'll keep the peace. And um, my mom is gone now, but um, I have two sisters and both of them really went to the dark side and have very strong narcissistic tendencies. And I hid my head in the sand and I ignored it my whole life. So I was just like, Boop. now that wasn't a very smart thing because I ended up marrying them and then dating them um, and not knowing what I was in for because all of the patterns that I had grown up with was what I was living with. It just seemed normal, but it was abusive. And now that I can see it clearly, um, there's, there's the either direction that they can go to. And, and I see, you know, I have support groups here in person um, in Colorado and we can have 40 or 60 people in the room. And, and as everyone goes around and whether it's a romantic one or they're simply there for their, the parent, most of the romantic ones have had some parental influence in their life. And so they did get into that second situation. So healing that wound, understanding where you came from, you know, your own self-esteem and the, the recordings in your head. Um, going back to the changing of the story for a second here, you know, I've had a lot of people with all of the, the, um, the trauma and all of the, the scary stuff going on with the COVID right now. And um, I tell people that to change that story um, when they see the pictures of Times Square and it's completely empty and you panic and you go, oh my God, the world is ending, right? That puts fear in your heart. But if you turn that story around in your head and go, thank God they're listening. You know, when you see the hospital workers who are telling their brave stories of, of their heroic duties and it's right next to the number of dead next to it, say, thank God those workers are there for us. Thank God the hospitals are being built in Central Park. Mm. Change the story instead of the fear. And that is how we move along in this same recovery. We have to stop telling ourselves that we have to understand we were a victim. We have to understand what happened to us, but we have to change that story and come out with the lesson because we learned a lesson and that's, what's going to protect us and take us into the next place. Mm, that's beautiful. Wow. That was good. And thank you for, for referencing that because obviously as this is airing during a very interesting time in our society, something that most of us have never seen before, it's, it's definitely, it's needed to be talked about and, um, so, you know, you mentioned, right, low self-esteem. Another thing that I think of when I think of, right, I guess I reflect, reflect on my own personality of, of growing up in an alcoholic family and becoming more of a codependent like my mom, um, abandonment is a big thing for, I know, a lot of people, myself included, and probably a lot of people watching right now. Like, any suggestions there on how, like you're saying, like, right, change your narrative around it. That abandonment to me is very, very fear-based. It's something that <laughs> it's just it like. But, but the worst kind of abandonment is when we abandon ourselves, right? I, my father left when I was six. 
I never really thought about it because I had a new father in 15 minutes. He's still mm-hmm. five years later, my father. Um, but I, that abandonment wound molded all three of my sisters and I, right? We were all attached to that abandonment in different ways. So I hid my head. They were wounded and, and went to that wounded side, which brought them to the narcissistic side. Healing abandonment wounds are very important because it's not just that daddy left, right? I'm using that as a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Not that someone left. It is neglect. It is abuse. It is a whole bunch. There's like seven or eight things that all encompass the abandonment wound. Um, if they're just not there for you and, and they don't want to talk to you except for about the weather, then you feel unheard. And so you've looked for someone that's going to hear you which could attract the wrong people. Um, my favorite author is Susan Anderson for abandonment. And um, she has a workbook that I would say 50% of my clients, I end up saying, you need this book. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps you look at these things and it helps you separate that abandonment wound from who you are today because we don't have to carry it on our back. It happened just like narcissistic abuse happened, but it doesn't mean that that becomes the stamp on our forehead, right? And, and whether it's physically there, we talk about it, or whether we take it into the next relationship, we have to heal these wounds. And um, abandonment is a huge one for most victims of abuse because mm. the person that they trusted abandoned them, whether it's daddy or their husband or their wife. Right. So any like just... I don't know, quick tips or suggestions on how one would start to face that abandonment wound and work through it? Read about it, learn about it, like dive in. If you were going to Italy, would you not buy a book on what to do in Italy, Mm -hmm. right? You would go, I wanna, I'm gonna Google it. I'm gonna find out what to do, what's the attractions, where do I wanna go? Do that, have that passion for your recovery. Watch, Watch, like I love TED Talks, watch TED Talks and start with that. Get, that, get a book on abandonment. Um, understanding things like fear is another thing. But fear controls our life just as much as abandonment does because the fear of abandonment is really just a fear. Well, how do we turn the dial down on fear is really the, the question. So if we turn the dial down on fear, we won't fear the abandonment because we'll always be there for ourselves. That's the, the part of abandonment where we, we don't feel like we have anyone but we have ourselves, and that's where we have to start going. I'll never leave you, Tracy. I'll always be there. Right. And then you have such a solid base. And, it, and it's more than me just saying that, of course, it's doing the work to feel that that is truth inside of you. And, um, and that helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that, right. So many people, um, I speak from experience in, in most of this, right. So many people tend to look outside themselves for, that sense of security and not abandonment and self-esteem and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, it's quite the journey to remember and recognize continuously that, oh, right, the, the lesson is coming back to ourselves and not abandoning ourselves and not like seeking so desperately outside of ourselves for, right, for that valid. fulfillment. And, yeah. and to me, I think that was why I picked my husbands. You know, I, I had a, a crappy family, so I married both of them because they had good families. Mm. I know that. I, I, you know, this is in years of therapy. It wasn't like I knew it then. I was just like, oh, okay, hi. But when, when, when you've got that wound of I don't have a good family, you search for that. 
if someone with a beautiful family mask can come to you and be so charming and con you into thinking that they can be your family. And that's what happened to me. And um, it was even more of an abandonment because I thought they were the ones that were going to stay. And um, I had to learn like Dorothy, you know, you had the power all along with the Ruby slippers and, and that took a long time to really open that wound up, look at it, be honest with it because denying it for my whole entire life didn't help me, but go, Oh, I felt that way. I felt that way. And, and wow, but I don't have to hold on to that. I can let go of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what other things do you think like narcissistic abuse can teach people about themselves? I can, I, I can say that it could, it could teach them um, that probably they're too nice. Um, <laughs> probably that they give too much. And I'm not saying we want to change people so that they're not giving, but they have to be giving to the right people. Um, I have an online support group right now and I had 10 women the other night and, and actually I did it a week ago with men. I had 10 men too. And I said, what percentage did you give in the relationship? And there wasn't one that wasn't under 95% and most were 110%. They gave, they gave, they gave. And so what we have to do is close that gap. The new person at the coffee table, we want them to give the same amount. If you come home and you don't feel good, I'll make dinner for you, honey. Mm-hmm. You know, I lived with a situation where I didn't, didn't matter how sick I was, my dinner had to be on the table at six o'clock and I took out the garbage and I did all this stuff. I'm not going to have that inequality. You have to learn that giving too much is taking away from us. We end up losing ourselves because we didn't have that hour to read on a Saturday and we get resentful for them who did get it while we took out the garbage and cleaned the house. Mm -hmm. It has to be level. We have to learn that people pleasing is okay and doing things for other is okay as long as it's balanced. If you're up here and they're down here, you're being used. And it doesn't matter if they're a narcissist, a con man, or a jerk. It should never be that imbalanced. And I think that's the most important thing that people have to look at and go, wow, I really did too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how you attract a narcissist, right? If you're going to be, I'll do everything. I moved this last narcissist, dude. I packed his whole freaking house for him and moved it down three flights of stairs. And and that was too much. Like that was just stupid, right? Um, But I wanted to be helpful. I will never do that again, unless the person is equally as kind back to me when I need someone. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Those are great, great real life examples. So I appreciate you sharing those. Um, so, like an idiot, but that's all right. <laughs> so Tracy, I want to make sure you have a chance to talk about um, a free, free, multiple free gifts actually you have for everybody on your website. So everybody, there's a button below this video that links over to Tracy's amazing supportive website. So what do you have over there? Well, you know, last summer, um, I, I, I started writing my book and then I, I had a writer's block and, and said um, I, I needed to practice writing. So I went every Friday to the Botanic Gardens, brought my computer, and I sat there for seven hours and wrote. And I wrote um, these PDFs, these 5,000 word documents on who is your narcissist. So if you're divorcing, if you're co-parenting, it's your parents, it's your sister, it's at work, it's your in-laws. I wrote these 
eBooks and they're free on my website. And it's going to give you all the information to understand and go, oh my gosh. And I made them into a PDF so that you could send it to your sister and go, oh my God, that's mom. It's, this mm -hmm. is it. You know, or if, if you're divorcing, you could send it to your friend and go, this is what I'm up against. Do you see this? Um, we need to be able to share the information. So I've got 10 of these free PDFs up on the website and I know you've got the link, but um, they can help a lot and um, they can help educate you and for you to educate your friends and family so that they don't think you're crazy if they can see, oh my God, you're right. That's what he's doing. I'm so sorry. You get more support if they understand that you educate them as well. Mm, awesome. Thank you. And thank you for sharing how, how they came to be. I love your, <laughs> I love your stories of, right. I can see you in the botanical gardens doing your, <laughs> doing you your know what the coolest thing was days it rained and uh, I was this like rain warrior. Cause we just get like flashes, like somewhere just like, you know, and I was like, okay, sometimes I was in this glass house and I would just be in there and I'd just be writing and be beating on the, and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then another time I went, to like the eating area and sat under an umbrella and it was just pouring off the umbrella. And after it rained, a man who worked in the restaurant came over and he's like, what are you writing that, you know, and it ended up that he was an abuse victim as well. Oh. And so it was just like the world just caved and, and, and I made friends sitting there on the different patios that are now Facebook friends. This, I want to call them this old family, this, this family of people in their eighties that, all had children that are married to narcissists. They just sat down and said, what are you writing? And now we're Facebook friends and um, the world, it just was so there for me. And so I want these books and these things to go out there and everybody to get educated because mm. we need to educate people. Mm, thank you. That was an awesome story. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to get right when the, the universe works in mysterious ways and, and, and puts people in our, in our lives at the right moments. So I love that. Exactly. So are there any last insights, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, I'm a big proponent on support, get support, find people. If you're just beginning this journey, I have a, a Facebook group um, on our website. We also list every meetup and we have them all the way into like Hong Kong and, and Canada and France and different places now. If they're on Meetup, we have gathered them. We check it every month and, and there's two or 300 support groups and get in there and find community. Um, and I can't do it right now. A lot of them are doing it online though, but you know, the in-person ones are so valuable. To, so, oh my God, I thought I was alone, right? That validates it. And it, speeds up your recovery so much more. And there's a lot of online ones. I do the online ones as well. So just find community because your friends aren't going to want to hear all these stories for very long. They're going to think you're, you're just like staying there and ruminating too much, mm -hmm. but having someone that gets it and goes, Oh my God, that happened to me too your heart will go home. Every time I do my in-person groups and we have like 40 to 60 people in the room at a time, I just fly home. Like just so happy to watch the people that have been there for a year coming back in to help others mm -hmm. and going, I don't really need this anymore. This just saved my life. So I want you to see the light of me healing. Mm -hmm. and, and that just like, I just go, Oh my God, you know, and, and it's, that kind of community that people who are usually empathic and, you know, 
kind and generous, the, the targets of victims of, of narcissists that come back and help others heal. Mm -hmm. So I have, I think, nine admins in my Facebook group from all over the world. And um, they've been doing this for four years for me without any money. And they just monitor and help everyone keep safe. So there's places that you can go that you can talk to people, whether you're in your house or you can get out and do something online. Mm, beautiful. Thank you for, for making people aware of that. And I, I too love the group meetings and um, I do adult children of alcoholics meetings and they have right. Like, so um, you know, or anyone doing like 12 step programs, there's some amazing online resources for people where, yeah, you don't know the, you, if you're not in person with them, right. Or they could be from across the world and you have this like a similar story and it's really a, a pretty magical experience to be able to, to connect with people in that way. And you just don't feel so alone anymore, you know? Yeah. Mm, so. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. So everyone, I highly recommend you check that out, those resources out and, and recognize that you are not alone in this, in this journey. And even if a lot of people can't be in person right now, there's, there's definitely um, other, other options. So thank you for doing this, Tracy. You're amazing. And I just so appreciate your conversation and, and all your work. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. And everyone who's watching and listening, so happy that you showed up for yourself today, that you're willing to take a look at, you know, yourself, your relationships, um, all of that, and just willing to, to move forward in a place of power. So thanks so much for being with us and we'll see you again real soon.